Gaming NBS, episode 327, being recorded Monday, February 1st, 2021. Welcome to Gaming NBS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. How you doing? Sean, how you been, man? Hey, Brett, can you do this? Not hey, that can fast. You do this? Not, we not, go that, around? not that quickly, no. It hurts. I'm a little sore. All I got to say, the horrible electric pain I had is is gone pretty much. I'll get an occasional like surgery pain, but it doesn't have the same, well, I can't feel my hands type of thing, which I was getting regularly. Yeah, it must be literally like, I've heard... Uh, stories that it's literally like shutting a switch off. Yeah, it was like night and day. I woke up and went, wow, I can... I mean, I'm sore because I went in and stapled a dead man's bones to my spine, which is exactly what they did. So it's kind of... You feel it? Like, wow, oh, they were in there drilling. You can feel that. At one point, I swear I could smell and taste bone, which was interesting. Um, anyhow, point is, is like right now, I don't... My arms are fine. I'm sitting at my desk and normally here, click the mouse a few times before the show. Oh, hands numb. Not a problem. I can't lift anything. I can't do anything. That's annoying for like 12 weeks. Can't lift more than 10 pounds. So I'm making AJ carry shit around for me, which is kind of nice to have a porter. <laughs> I like that. A little, little porter. Hey, carry this, son. Daddy needs some juice. Fetch me some juice. I can't lift that. The picture's too big. <laughs> I, I, I might be milking it too. I don't know. You think? A little <laughs> bit? So, all right, before we go too far. So, I'll, oh, all right, first off, I got to do this. So <clears throat> I'll be serious for a second. Then I'm going to have something funny. But when um, I went through, so I go into surgery like last Friday. I do that thing. Sean, Joe, Wayne, everybody out there, VC, everybody who's like paying attention, who follows us on the show, has said something in some capacity or, or been interested to see, did he make it? Is he okay? How are things going? And um, it's the first time I've ever been out. And granted, people have had much worse things than me. Absolutely much worse. And uh, it was, it is actually really amazing, incredibly flattering that any of y'all give that much of anything <laughs> about my health. That was incredibly nice. And, uh, and Sean, it reminded me probably of how you must have felt after your accident when people were like, Hey, are you okay? Blah, blah, blah. After a while, like, yeah, I'm fine. Come on. I'm just, I'm just this guy, whatever. But it, I, I didn't feel that before, you know, cause I had, I hadn't had the, now I'm the guy with the accident. It was, it's actually very flattering. So all the men and women who took the time, they were just even to give me a thumbs up, thank you, glad you're around type of thing. That, that was, it's very flattering, humbling, and quite wonderful. It's really cool. And in the middle of that, so I, Sean, Sean uh, donated to me all of his old D&D stuff. He's got these dragon mags and stuff. So I'm like laid up. I'm like, this is a perfect time. I'm going to go through this shit, right? So I find this wonderful little thing planted within his dragon magazine. A little ditty by, uh, uh, by Sean Kelly about Nathaniel Hawthorne. <laughs> a few pages, a few pages worth. Um, my favorite piece of the commentary was, this doesn't really make sense. It's not proving anything. And I thought so much, so much from then to now, much the same, much the same. That all, it ties into what we do now. This is really good. And it all, comes, end, did, it all it comes, comes together now, doesn't it? Bro? And uh, apparently he did get a C. Um, you need to concentrate more on explaining the theme. You never really showed how self-forgiveness uh, was brought up in, uh, in Hawthorne stories. So... I think you were close, but it sounds like you missed the mark, which again, I, I read that and I went, you know, that's, 
400 episodes of gaming and bs right there and uh so we get to see i think it's we'd still get to see brett found one of my <laughs> papers <laughs> handwritten handwritten yeah the margins are wonderful i mean he's got like one inch margins down the side I think he was not. Let me double check this thing here. You should read it. This go ahead. Read, go ahead. Recite it, man. Go ahead. In this paper, the author hopes to tell a little about Hawthorne and the styles and ways in which he wrote. That's the opening page. That's the opening page. I mean, that just, I'm hooked. After that, I was just diving into this. I freaking hated writing shit. <laughs> oh, God. I was so not, oh, I couldn't stand it. So got, the, the the funniest thing to me was I send this I said hey Sean I found this I hit him on Voxer he's like you've passed the test and I'm like that eh, motherfucker he may have put that in there as it's to see if I'd actually look through all the stuff he gave me like is this really a test and it, until today he let me stew on that for like four, four days is it really a test is it really no Brad I just happened to put it in there I just thought it was funny as hell <laughs> who's who's Carl was like hey scan that sucker so we can read it and get a copy. Oh, I should do that. Yeah. It doesn't bother okay. I don't care. It's like I got nothing else to do. I might as well do it tomorrow. I could give two <laughs> shits. All, between naps and thinking about gaming, that's I can do that. That's all I'm doing. It's not a paper that's gonna get me into trouble online. I can just say that for sure. There you well, go. Well, that depends unless somebody really disagrees with your Hawthorne prose or something. Oh, I, I don't I'm sure it's plagiarized. It probably is. Yeah. Or if I scan it out there, someone will take a copy and they too will get a C and just barely pl- pass English 101 or whatever it was you took it. That's fair. My GPA is much better post-high school. <laughs> uh, erg. All right, man. Anything uh, announcement-wise? you getting gaming in since I talked to you last? I haven't. I know that. I ran Star Wars last week and then uh, Age of Rebellion. I didn't like it. I didn't like how it went. It wasn't the, the players. It was... Well, that's not what you offline. You were like players, players, players. No, no. <laughs> he was not. He did not do that. No, no he didn't. So, that's what didn't you like? Trouble. Was it the was it the the story? The, the... the scenario. The God, it it I couldn't wrap it up in a in a well um, with a in a nice box with a bow on it. It just it was rushed at the end. It was yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, oh, excuse me. I think. Uh, it, it was just I wasn't on my I wasn't on my game I wasn't at the top of my game, you know. And that's we've talked about that. We're all gonna have bad days, and yeah. and sometimes it's worth the command. I did not like that. And sometimes your players are super sweet, and I'm like, oh no, yeah, they're, no they it was fine. All, it was they were fine. All supportive, yeah. But um, there's still there's still times when we're disappointed in ourselves. Nothing you can do about that. Yeah, yeah. All and right. then I uh, have uh, I had played low fantasy gaming on Sunday with the Hobbs. The mm, Hobbs cool. is still alive. I'm still alive. Yeah, I'm like I'm I'm the top of the game there. I'm like fifth. I just did ding fifth level. So I'm the highest level guy in the party. You know, nice. So I got that going I, for me. So speaking which, of, uh, which is pretty nice. Kind of older school style of approach there. I had um because I'm down for the count for the week, at least. Uh, cracked open part of um. All right, if there's anyone in my gaming group, my home gaming group listening, stop listening right now. Give give me about five minutes. Then you can come back in. Actually, you know what? Just wait till you hear the random encounter thing, then come back in. Good? Good? All right. No, no. Okay, they're gone. So um, I pull out my Return to the Tomb of Horrors box set because that's part of what eventually my Greyhawk game is going to run into. I did this ages back in third edition when it first came out with um, with Greyhawk, where the guys were in the Grand Duchy of Jeff. The giants invade. There's this huge huckabuck. What's going on? Oh, my God. They defeat the giants. They get in a big brawl. They figure things out. And through that process, 
things are become uncovered, they've got to go deal with Sarak and what he's trying to do with a negative material plane. So I started digging through that, and I forgot Bruce Cordell wrote that box set. I'm like, oh my God, Bruce Cordell wrote that one. Because I'd never paid much attention until, I think, honestly, Sean, since you and I started talking, I never paid much attention to who wrote some of those adventures that I liked. And um, I distinctly remember getting through part of that adventure and having the group I was running it for completely mutiny on me because they didn't like it. But I'm pretty sure with my group, the way it's going now, they'll have a blast with it when it finally gets there. But I got to see if they can make it to like a level 13 to 16. That's the spot to get in there. And even then, it's going to be a freaking bloodbath. But I think they I think they can pull it off. I think they can pull it off. So that story leads me to this one. You talked to Phil Vecchione about Forbidden Lands. What did, did you learn anything newer and cool on that or what? I did, yeah. It was very insightful. We talked for probably two hours, at least an hour and some odd minutes specifically for Forbidden Lands. I actually have the video done and I will be uploading that in the next day or so. Um, you can still get it here on Twitch on this channel, but I'll put it up. Uh, I chopped off a little bit at the end where Phil is just kind of hanging out. But yeah, it was good. Uh, insightful. Some some things I kind of had in mind going into it and some things that I'm like, okay, I'll have to file that away. And um, But yeah, it was good. I liked it. I appreciate it. And I was always good talking to Phil. Oh, Phil's good people. Yeah. He is. He's fun. So let me ask you this. And then we go in a random encounter. Do you think the, um, I, this happens to me, so I'm asking, this is why I'm asking you. Is I have found that if I get too distracted by reading the new thing, the current thing I'm trying to run can suffer. Do you think that had anything to do with your with Sean's Star Wars feelings from the last session? Do you think that impacted you at all? Uh, I don't think so, but it, it's possible. I read the scenario and then came back to it. It just it was a scenario that it wasn't jiving with me. It was just seemed, and I think the next one. Yeah, I shouldn't say this because. Then, you know, people are like, eh, that sounds like the next one's going to suck. I don't want to run it. I don't want to play it. But I think I got to do some heavy lifting on some of these because they're not, I don't know if they're all written that well. And my second run with them will probably be much better, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to keep trucking along. So who knows? I don't know. Who, I don't well, know. you know, and sometimes you can run a, you can run a campaign or a, an adventure or whatever it is. You go, eh. And the third time you're running, like, I don't know what I did there, but I changed house to home and, and it just became this amazing fucking adventure. You know, it stars were aligned, whatever. So, okay. I was just curious because I know that, like I said, if I, my Sambarum stuff hasn't showed up yet. And I know Free League has, they've got plenty of, like everybody else with the pandemic has taken forever to get stuff places, right? Books and things. And I've got my PDFs and, but I'm, I'm holding off digging too deep because I want to get through some of the stuff I'm doing right now. My games. Before I dive too heavily into a whole nother rule system, get all hot and bothered. Oh, I got, oh, Zimbarum, because I love what I'm reading. And I know it will distract me because that's just who I am. I know that. So I was just curious. I mean, I, I, mean, I got I to gotta change initiative. Yeah? Yeah, initiative is usually, you know, side-based, right? There's slots, but it depends on whose side, and then it's up to the side to, to fit somebody in there. And, you know, I've been given some advice to say, you know, you should probably just... Um, whoever rolls and it's in that order, that person goes. Because what happens is you get these slots. You got four PC slots and you got one NPC slot, right? Oh, so you kind of get the analysis paralysis of who goes first. Right. I'll tell you, even in uh, my Greyhawk game, depending who is doing what on the player side or how it's shaken out, whatever happens, 
I say, okay, Alpha, roll for initiative, because he's the group's official initiative guy. So he rolls his d6, I roll mine. And then my bad guys go in a certain order, and then I tell them who starts, and I bounce around. I don't always go across, because we're gaming online, I don't always go left to right, right to left, or whatever, or alphabetical, or anything. It depends on what it was they're doing. But I have found that sometimes by giving too much space, people, well, if I go first this time, then next time I'll go third, and then it can almost get too noodly. Or people want to discuss it. Like, it's a real big deal. And sometimes you're like, just fucking go. Come on, do do something. Well, it's going to be, someone. it's going to be, we're going to go in order unless okay. somebody interjects and says, no, no, I want to go now and this is why. And as long as that person's good, great. Otherwise, here's the order. Everybody knows about it ahead of time. Let's Rock roll. Yeah. Everyone's ready by the yeah. time their turn comes up. Yeah. Cool, man. So. Cool. All right. I think that's enough. We good? Yeah. What's a uh, random encounter? Random encounter. Segment of the show where you feel emails, voicemails, comments from social media. Uh, let's see. We got one. So we got a double header for Kyle who uh, voicemailed in. So it's, uh, yeah. So it's going to go and then probably stop and then I'll have to kick the next one off. So, and uh, on deploying lore. So let's see if I can get this out to the masses. Uh, hey guys, uh, just had to call in again after your last show on deploying lore. I uh, just had to call in to say that my name is DM Kyle and I am a loreaholic. Uh, I dump so much lore on my players that when I back up from the table, uh, there's a beeping sound. Uh, uh, lore deployment is, wow, so complicated. Uh, great show on it. Um, I think one of the things one of the things uh, uh, that you didn't really go to in depth uh, is you know the, the depth of, of of complications of lore in licensed in licensed games or uh, the troubles of deploying lore in games where lore is very much the loot. Uh, I'd say specifically, Call of Cthulhu uh, is one of these games where it's a mystery game, it's an investigation game. If you're playing it that way, your lore is actually your treasure it's your magic weapon it's your plus one swords it's the tools and resource that you need to collect to survive um and it gets really complicated sometimes with uh, even with experienced rpgers uh especially in core games like Cthulhu as a mechanic where learning the lore can actually make your character go insane and be put out of the game uh so you get in situations where you know I, in my game my players came across a a gun safe full of eldritch tomes, and I had to tell them, "Look, this is Smog's cave. This is the pile of gold. This is the treasure chest. You know, this this is the loot that you're looking for. So you got to go in there and read those books and get the weapons you need to uh, survive. And with the sanity mechanics and things in the game, nobody wanted to touch any of that stuff." So uh, it gets it gets really interesting once again deploying lore in games where lore is actually a mechanic that that characters uh, need to win the day, and when there's a, a converse mechanic, uh, you know, eating away at their resources. Um, and once again, with Cthulhu as an example, uh, one of the things about it is is that game is so much. I think the game, to a certain extent, is is as prominent as the literature. So you get wild, wildly divergent mixes of, of, uh, of players. 
Um, you get people who have read every word of Lovecraft, Lovecraft and all the letters, and you get people who have literally never read a Lovecraft uh, story and know about them, you know, through secondary means, you know, whether it's Hellboy or just the RPG itself. And then when you try and set up a mystery and hide that lore, you've got to accommodate some players who are going to be like, first day, oh, you know what this is? This is Shubnigarath. This is the black goat of the woods. We're up against the cult of Shubnigarath. Uh, you know, at the, at the barest, simplest clue are going to know that. Well, someone. Hey, yeah, extending that last call once again, uh, just talking about you can, you can give a very, very minimal clue to kick off a game. And if you've got somebody who's, you know, a Lovecraft scholar, they're going to immediately say, hey, we're up against Culture of Nigrath. This is what we need to do. This is what we need to look for. And then you have people at the, people at the table who are like, shove what? All, 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 all that was in that clue was, uh, uh something about a, a goat and, uh, and fertility, you know, what's, what's this all about? So, uh, um, deploying lore, uh, much more complicated than just exposition, especially when you get out of the traditional combat oriented fantasy games. Uh, yeah, at the same time, it's one of my favorite things to do as a, as a game master. So, uh, and, uh, you know, another element is never, you can never really, you can never really uh, overestimate the lore that your players know. I ran a Star Wars game, a D6 Star Wars game for uh, for a year, and I kept everything within, you know, the boundaries of the cinematic cinematic universe. I didn't really throw in plot hooks that were going to involve them reading some comic book from Dark Horse from you know ten years ago, or or even go deep into the animated series. Uh, but still, at the end of that game, I had people who were like. Wow, I, I felt like I was over my head with all the Star Wars work because I didn't know what some of this stuff was. Um, and even people who had not seen, uh, you know, the, the original three core movies just because they wanted to play a fun uh, role-playing game. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, deploying lore in licensed settings, definitely uh, definitely some sand traps there that I think uh, a lot of experienced uh, GMs don't think about simply because, you know, they're leaning on the pop culture prominence. Uh but, you know, once again, uh, great show, uh, keeping pace with exactly the stuff that's coming up in my games every week. It's kind of weird. I kind of wonder if you guys are tapping my phone. Are you spying on me? But uh, thanks a lot for doing what you do. <laughs> well, no, Kyle, we're not. <laughs> do, 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 you, do you have an Alexa or a Google in your house? If so, <laughs> then maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, one of the things that you mentioned there, um, it is really cool. Um, the the varying degrees of what lore can do to people, right? You say something, and I know who Shubnagroth is, the Black of the Wizards with Thousand Young, and so on and so forth. So I'll hit that, and I'll say, oh, I know what that is, blah, blah, blah. And it's very easy sometimes to go overboard and dive in. And Sean and I have talked about this on the show before, too, and I was super proud of my group last time I ran my Greyhawk game. They're down these tunnels in, uh, in this city, and... Um, they hear this screaming noise. They're trying to figure out what's going on, and they're they're going down the hallway, and they see these people like like freeze frame running, like slowly, like they're hit by a slow spell, just kind of barely moving, and everything shimmers as they shift down the hallway. It, it, this, this body's trapped in gelatinous cube. They're slowly but surely being eaten away. They hear voices behind it and so forth. I felt they did a good job with the description, but the players did an even better job by playing low-level characters who'd never seen a gelatinous cube before, Zave looked at me and goes, I think I know what that is, but my character doesn't, so I'm going to try this. 
And that was the only thing that anyone gave me, apart from looks across the camera, because like, oh, I know what that is, but I don't want to say, right? It was real. I was super proud of him because that's a tough moment too to downplay your personal lore knowledge, and uh, at the right level of your character, that's hard to do. So uh, especially when something is mundane as a gelatinous cube of all things. And, but it was it was pretty cool to see. That just brought that to mind. Very cool. Very cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for the voicemail, Kyle. Appreciate it. I'm going to make you read the next one. Edwin Nagy emails us. You may get to this. I'm only partway through the episode. One thing very much missing in my mind from this, the nostalgia trip to Let's Pretend Land is the horrible arguments. I shot you. No, you missed. I didn't miss. My finger was pointed at you. I ducked. Many of our games ended in this, sometimes violently. So we came up with rules. As we add rules, we try to add a reality, not necessarily our reality, but some in-game reality. As we add reality, we lose the willingness to talk about Kibler sticks being run through hydrogenators. <laughs> there are no rules for that. Some games or some GMs add bonus dice or inspiration or bennies to folks who do that. Some story games actually require it and have some kind of cleverness uh, voting mechanic rather than dice to see if the BS, meant in the best possible way, succeeds. <laughs> Most of what we play, however, comes down to a skill check. And example, you have advantage on the attack because the opponent is prone. It's hard to mix that with giving advantage because of something creative that was said, player skill versus character skill. Which one leads to more arguments and more fun? It depends. Can we do both? Maybe. Speaking of rules, just a reminder for Brett that alternate ability skill checks is still discussed in the D Dungeon Master's Guide on page 239. One of my favorite bits in there, although I just glanced at the rules for objects and realized it's time for me to reread the rulebook too. Also, thought on team games, which is this link he's put in there and then rule number three player substitutes and coaches section one team each team shall consist of five players no team may be reduced to less than five players so this is a nba thing like literally interesting the official nba like national basketball association kind of thing he puts in here huh. so he's lying out rules for the nba uh Anyways, it is in the rules. D&D &D goes out of its way to indicate that you can do what you want, solo, PvP, team, etc. Most adventurers push for team play in order for the characters to succeed, but I would argue that that is not the rules. That said, I'm still trying to understand the whole argument. <laughs> Cheers and happy gaming, Edwin. Edwin covered a couple of good ones for a few episodes there, I think, that we had. Yeah. Playing pretend... Uh, team play, a lot of good stuff there. It, it is interesting. We're in um, a role-playing game is one of the few games that doesn't always have like a winner loser, a start. You know, the, the traditional game things to it. It's very narrative. It's it's a weird little monster. And I, um, if we had had, I remember being a kid and my parents would say, "Oh, what were you playing? Were you playing some kind of game with your friends?" Yeah, we played Army. It, there's just it was just a game, a thing we did. What were you doing? Oh, we played this. We played this, or whatever. And my parents just referred to that stuff as a game. Whatever game those kids are playing, it's kind of a generic, just thing you do for fun. 
Um, so it, it's it's interesting because we've talked about this so many times with the you know what's in, what's out for rules. I definitely remember the two uh, page two thirty nine. Thank you there very much. I'm gonna have to go back and reread that one. I'm kind of blessing here, but the uh, it's interesting that sometimes it's very difficult for an RPG rule wise to say something is absolutely one hundred percent not allowed. Right. In a football game, it's like, you are not allowed to have more than X number of people on the field. Basketball team shall have five players. That's it. You can't have 10. You should have put 20. Too bad. It's five, it's five on five. That's how this game is played. Well, that's, you know. that's true. And so, yes, that's true. But you could argue that you can have five people or six people on the court or 12 people on the football field. You just get a penalty. Well, yep. Then there's a penalty involved because right. you're cheating. Because you're breaking the rules, right? But in game in RPGs, we could have disadvantage. We could have a yeah, negative exactly. modifier. Yeah. But that's not breaking the rules. It's from nope. from circumstances within the game. So, yes. yeah. And I think Edwin does have a good point, Sean. You, I have chatted about that too. Is the, the you know playing pretend and stuff? There, there were arguments when we were kids. I shot you. No, I didn't. You can't do that. Yes, I can. You know that type of thing happens. So. Huh. Interesting stuff. Thanks, yeah. Edwin. That's good. Very, very good. All right. So what do we got next? Email from Ed C on skills. Greetings, all. I've noticed in many RPGs, skill checks are often either based off your ability scores or get a bonus based on your ability scores. Just to make the system simple, you could probably do something where you have non-weapon for proficiencies. It's kind of like they did back in AD&D. Uh, and instead of requiring a skill check, you do an appropriate ability check trying to roll under your stat perhaps even add a type of system like Pathfinder 2E has. Depending on um, your level of proficiency, you are limited in possibility how how well you can succeed at it. Uh, this way, a DM on the fly can make uh, just a... Uh, can make it a, a quick change to ability score just to fit the situation. Uh, AE strength in, instead of, de of dexterity... Um, for an escape artist, uh, a strength check to get through some sticky webs and so on. Just a thought. Hmm. There is, I've been rereading my first and second edition stuff. And in the, um, uh, in the wilderness guide and dungeoneer survival guide, there's different, how they're all tied. And like this skill has, it's a dexterity skill or, um, but it has a, a minus two penalty on it whenever you roll it because it's so difficult or whatever it is. And I know there are other systems out there and as uh, Edwin pointed out before too there's that alternate stats role there I think some systems buried within them older ones anyway I can't think of anything offhand where you can have a skill your skill track and your stat track are not always the same or very closely or like they were tied at the beginning and then they kind of disassociate over time I don't know it's been a while I really haven't dug into too many systems lately to see look at the different skill sets. I should do that again. Anyway. I don't, I don't have second edition anymore. I gave that up like, <laughs> God, a year, years ago. Yeah. Gave up I know. Stuff. I know you don't because I've got everything else you got. <laughs> Brett has everything, so. Yeah. All right. Over to you, Over to you sir. Isaiah comments on not-so-supers. I appreciate the discussion about the challenges involved with sci-fi games. I love hard science fiction, but I find that when I run a game for someone who is more knowledgeable about phys physics and technology, 
They might be confused about a story assumption I made that breaks real life, real life rules. There was a time in another group that I dropped running harder sci-fi and stuck to space opera so I could fill the gaps with, they invented a blank that solves blank problem. This experience affected me recently running a game, Alternative, what else, where the party crashed on an asteroid that was under an included induced spin to simulate gravity inside it, and I was really agonizing about what the experience would be like and how to model the physics of trying to move across that surface. Nobody invested in personal nobody invested in personal propulsion. These players really did not care, but my gr old group would have probably tried to teach me some physics instead or just bypassing the robot guards and accessing the compound. My current players care very little about, about physics, engineering, or speculative technology, so aside from the occasional explaining some aspect of computer technology, so many gamers are computer science people, they don't seem bothered about what should be happening according to physics. It's freeing for the story, but I do sometimes wonder if I am getting it right. Yeah, I really think, and I think part of it is because I am not as much of a, of a sci-fi nerd. And for some reason, sci-fi has science in the title. And that title, I shouldn't say for some reason, sci-fi having science in the title, for some reason, seems to force on me and the people I play with, most often, the need to inject scientific logic or reasoning <laughs> in everything. Even if sometimes, can we just fucking forget it? You know, it... Yes, we all know that a car, car has a propulsion engine. Yes, it has a, you know, gas pistons. It's a big air pump. It does blah, blah, blah. Do we all fully understand how it works? It's a, an internal combustion is yes. what it's referred to, Brett. So. I've also had people tell me, well, basically, uh, an automobile engine is just a big air pump. Okay. That's a different way to look at it. It's essentially true, but it's not exactly the same. So regardless, again... How does an elevator work? Well, there's a motor and it pulls stuff up and down. Uh-huh. It's that easy, huh? Just a motor? Right? The shit's complicated. And I've decided that I'm going to start leaning into that more. Like, look, unless your character is a person who's really into that, you don't necessarily know how it works. I know a lot of people through high school and college, and even right now as a grown-up, for God's sakes, that know that if they get in, they turn the key. If the car doesn't start, it's got to be the battery. Because they have no other idea. You know, they have no idea what it's like to be out of gas or for God forbid, they've got a stick shift to have put the clutch in first or whatever the case is. There's a lot of shit going on that we don't understand how it functions, but we live in the world where it, it functions around us, around us all the time. I, case in point, could not run this show without Sean because I do not understand the technology that he's employing to run all this crap. Could I figure it out? Yes, but it's not in my sweet spot. I don't know how it works. I'm a user of it, you know. That type of thing. Hmm, it's interesting. I, I like I like you. I like what you bring out there, Zach. Because I don't know. I think it's nice to hear, if nothing else, because it's not just me and my group that <laughs> have that little bugaboo around sci-fi games, especially. So, kind of cool. Anything else from you, Sean? No, thanks, Isaiah. And that was pulled from the forums. We get some other nuggets in the next episode. I'm going to put in there too. Am I slurring Pulled real bad, dude? I feel like I'm slurring bad. Are you? Med, are you the, looped, the, man? Are you? Are you? Uh, no, the, have you taken some meds before the show? I, I took tramadol a while ago, so it shouldn't be too bad. But I feel a little. Uh, I'm also just. This is the most. This is the most energetic thing I've done all for like two days. So. <laughs> so we'll see. I think you're fine. Hey, I think you're doing all right, Brett. I'm doing all right. I think okay, you're doing all right. All right, good. 
The chatter, the chat's freaking raking you over the coals, oh, but God I think damn. you're do- hey, I think those you're doing bastards. okay. <laughs> those bastards, they hate me. I knew it. Hey, let's go on the main topic and see if I can make main you talk for a while. I'll, I'll make you talk. All right, Brettster. So uh, I was talking to my buddy uh, Lenny the other day. And then I was talking to AJ about this because he'd not heard the term. I was explaining it to him. Uh, plot coupons. Those uh, those adventures you go through. A lot of this, because I said, it's not like um, your game's Skyrim and some of the stuff that you play. And he goes, oh, let me, what do you mean, Dad? So I said, well, you got to you know, you gotta go here, get this coupon, go talk to this guy who then gives you this clue to go get to that guy, to go to this guy. And AJ says to me, well, aren't all role-playing games like that, though? I mean, that's how you do Call of Cthulhu. It's all about getting data and so on. And I said, yeah, I think you're right. But there's something about how it's done that's irritating me. And, of course, he's 14 and he's wrong. He doesn't know how to question me properly. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm like, huh, little fucker. He's got a point there. So I started talking to Lenny about it. And he's like, you know, I think it does come down to how you deploy it. Because a lot of... um I'm thinking out of the abyss. My buddy Alpha is running it. It feels very, the way it's coming across to us, incredibly plot coupon heavy. What the hell is a plot coupon? Like what? So you're you're adventuring, right? Have you gone to talk to the guy in the inn without that guy in the inn giving you the plot coupon? Allows you to unlock the rest of the plot. You go to the guy in the inn and he says, go rescue my, my kid from the goblins. You've rescued his kid. He gives you the next coupon, which allows you to go to the next town and talk to... That wizard who then says, ah, yes, go get me to this. I'll give you that. Oh, great. You've done that. Here's the next coupon for you to the next person. It's basically, did you get your ticket punched to get all the way through? Did you ride all the rides, you know? Oh, so collect, it's like you going to your, a technical like, conference with a yes. bunch of sponsors. Yes. Did you and, get all of your merit badges or not type of thing? Yeah. Oh. And I think, and I think it's fine to have them. Right, there's something about them that that bugs the hell out of me, and I think it comes down to it's if done poorly, and we may not get into all of this because I may get tuckered out and pass out on you. Um, but it feels like it could be very railroady, and that's how it's felt to me in the past when it's gone wrong. And by that I mean there seems to be no other way to get from where we are to whatever the next step is without the proper plot coupon in hand. I have played in games, Call of Cthulhu games, very poorly run, where you go and you meet the professor and you talk to him and then you go away. You go talk to the doctor, the lawyer, the pharmacist, and then they direct you back to the professor and you're like, I just fucking talked to him. Oh yes, but you hadn't talked to the pharmacist first. The adventure says, if they talk to the pharmacist first, then the professor will tell them this. Until that time, no. Right, you had an opportunity to say the 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 whatever the baker and the candlestick maker. Stick maker. I should have been butcher what? baker, candlestick maker. Butcher I should have baker, done it. Oh, candlestick sorry. maker. Come That's on, just, man. it's the drugs, man. I'm tired. All right, fair, fair. The drugs. <laughs> you tracking what I'm saying though? Where it I feels am tracking like... what you're saying, and I find that probably Delta Green has a lot of this. It can, but I was I was also thinking uh, it, some of it having it in there, how it's deployed. I think is the problem, right? So I think about the Curse of Strahd. when I played through it. It felt like I could do my friends and I running, uh, playing it. Alpha was doing such a good job. We could go and do whatever we wanted to. Find out what's up with the dragon. Find out what's up over here. Do we look into this windmill? Do we look into that? 
we followed and figured out our own pieces and parts. We got plot coupons to collect and gave us pieces and parts to put together to try to make a story of what it is we could do to try to finally kill Strahd and get the fuck out of Barovia. But we got at it at our own pace. And sometimes we'd come up and go, ah, that's an interesting plot coupon. If I'd have had this two levels ago, this would have been really helpful. Wee, throw it over your shoulder. Old news, don't care anymore. And that made it more verisimilitude, like it was really happening. You know, sometimes you get places. And those times when you go talk to the professor and you didn't talk to the pharmacist first or the butcher or the baker or the candlestick maker, and you haven't talked to everyone in just the right order to have all the coupons lined up to get them all punched by the professor. <sighs> it feels so railroady. Like you just, you have no choice, right? It has to go through this very specific path of um, clue uncovering. And it doesn't allow for logical leaps or players moving faster than perhaps the story was written for or faster than you anticipated. So I think there's a lot of different ways to go around. You can quantum ogre some of this stuff and so on. But I, I guess you tracking what I'm saying, Sean, or are you going to just tell me I'm high and I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Is that what you're going to do? I think I, I don't know, man, I'm picking up what you're putting down. So you read, you've read Strahd. Do you feel that it, I, I, it feels to me like the way that adventure is written and the way I've encountered it um, is, is such that you can take leaps. You can bounce around a little bit in Barovia. You don't, I don't feel like you have to go A to B to C to D to E to F to, you know, you don't have to follow a very specific path to get to the end. There's multiple ways to get to the end, right? Yes. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel as though. Well, you know, it depends on, on the player characters and what where they... Some will go in there and they think the emphasis is to go and get rid of Count Strahd and, and call it a day. And that's that's the solution to the problem. And hmm. Whereas um, others won't, won't right? The, yeah. They may want to just completely stay away from him altogether. Because he's a goddamn vampire. Why would I go knock on his door? That sounds stupid. But, I mean, right. I think the gist... Well, spoilers, Curse Strahd. Um, it's got a vampire in it. Well, <laughs> you, well, they find that out pretty quick. Yeah, I know, I know. But being stuck there, I think the motivation is to try to get out, and finding the way out leads you to talking to other people, which leads you to getting pulled into other things. So it's not... I, I think for me, the main piece is if you don't allow for the logical leaps. And uh, so the Quantum Ogre, I threw that out there. The Quantum Ogre is this concept that came out ages back in RPG parlance where... Like, look, if you're walking down involves a dungeon. involves physics. Yeah, it involves physics, which is very complicated. So, so <laughs> settle back, kids. Um, so basically, like, look, there's an ogre um, at this intersection. And if you either go right or left, but that, that ogre encounter is going to happen no matter which way you go because the DM is just going to put it there. Right? Right. And some people hate that. Like my buddy Lenny hates that with Call of Cthulhu. If you miss a clue, you miss a plot coupon in his Call of Cthulhu game, the world explodes and Cthulhu rises and, and the whole world is dead. That's what happened. You fucked up, kid. It's fine. I tell he likes to run, and you, buy, you, he tells you that going in. All right, cool. I got it. But one thing that he doesn't do is that if I have the adventure designed, either it's pre-written, I've designed it myself, or I have a thought in my head that says, "Look, if the players have collected these X number of coupons, and then they come to talk to Sean, then Sean will tell them this important piece of information." Now, if we go to talk to you early. And we start asking all the right questions, even though we didn't get the other three plot coupons. By denying me as the player that knowledge, 
right? Like, hey, we came to Wizard Sean, and Sean's got the knowledge. We've asked him the right questions, but I don't have my card punched that says I talked to the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. I'm sorry I can't give it to you because you didn't punch the card. I have had that feeling, and that pisses me off to no end. I've had game masters in the past say, well, you know, the way this is written, which is my favorite excuse ever. We'll talk about this when we get to talking about homebrewing and uh, and pre-written games. Well, it, the way it's written, like, it's not my fault. It was written this way, and I'm trying to be true to the adventure, and it says that unless they talk to the pharmacist first, the philosopher and, you know, and the whoever will never talk to them. Why? The purpose to go to the pharmacist first was to get a piece of data. If they have that through another means and go there. So what I'm getting at here is the, the ability to logically leap or circumvent a plot coupon. You know, use your own. Once you realize the, the punch card is just any punch card, you can go buy your own fucking card punch thing and <laughs> at Home Depot and punch your own damn card. You could make your own way through it. And I think it's kind of a prelude, if you will, to getting into taking a pre-written adventure and homebrewing stuff and back and forth. I honestly think that is some of the um, the tricky bit for me when I started doing it more and more of making my own stuff is allowing the players to make leaps of logic, sometimes crazy tenuous. Somebody for no reason other than just a weird whim says, oh, Wizard, Wizard Kelly, I, I heard blah. And you happen to say the thing that you're not supposed to know for three sessions, according to how it's written. But you dump the lore on them. Sure, here you go. You said the magic word. Bling. You know, Pee-wee's Playhouse. Magic word is said. Plot coupons rain down upon you. You have no idea what to do with all this data, but he just gave it to you. You, you picking that up or am I totally losing you? No, I, I understand, man. I'm following you. So do you, does that bother you? Am I just a uh, grumpy old drugged up man right now and I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about? It, have you ever encountered that where, it, it, like, the adventure, because you write... You run more pre-written stuff than I do. And um, do you do you ever see that more often? Or maybe it's an old thing that I'm just dragging around? I would say that I find it more in organized play scenarios. Okay. More in organized play. Yeah, usually. I mean, they're, they're three to four, four to five encounters. It's very, you know, they I think they've tried to change up some of the recipes so that it's not always fighty fighty you know but you could probably you know at one point you could set your watch to it like okay we talked to this person fight talk fight talk talk fight talk, fight, talk, talk, talk fight, fight, big right. fight yeah, yeah. okay right, yeah i right. gotcha yeah you know go in this dungeon go in the sewers follow this run into them fight 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 and sometimes being being repetitive or familiar isn't necessarily bad necessarily but i could definitely see where after 16 17 sessions of that i'd I have enough of that shit. You know, I want to shoot myself. That'd be boring as fuck for me anyway. Ugh. Yeah, there. but I know, I mean, Adventurers League, man, there are it's some freaking huge diehards in that. And that's there are. all they play. And they show up every week to the local game store and they will play that shit to the bitter end. And they, it's a, it's a, it's a, to me, the, the, some of the individuals, not all, that mm -hmm. I've run into that appreciate that specifically is one, it's consistent. They can go there and they can play and level up their tune. And But it gets into going through all the scenarios, getting all the magic items, getting, you know, leveling up. And I don't know. 
I don't see a lot of people coming out of Ventures League, me, that come back to me and say, oh, man, you got to go through this one arc. It's so awesome. Right? It's very, turn on the video game console, go through a few encounters. Grind your, grind through it and you're grind done. Grind through it and level up and get your certificates and fill out your PC tracker and, you know, turn it off. And then the next week, turn it back on and go and do the same thing, but through a different scenario. So when you encounter when you encounter plot coupons like in in any pre written adventure or, or that type of thing when you does it bother you if you feel like oh I'm never going to get piece this data point out of this NPC or I'm never going to get this thing because I clearly don't have enough coupons it does bother, it bother you it bothers me when it's when it's jammed in there and it's so obvious that it's going to be a problem like you're talking to the thing that bothers yeah, you. Yeah, the thing that bothers you is you've got to go to this NPC and then you've got to go into their pocket and that's where that thing is that should get you to the next step. Like that is just, some of that could be pretty ridiculous. Now, I have run adventures like Lost Mine of Fandelver. That's not the same because there's side quests and those side quests aren't necessarily plot coupons. I mean, they may have an NPC that says, hey, you know, I'll help you out, but... You know, I got this thing in the woods I need you to track down because I think somebody stole that, it. They right. give you extra data, though. For doing a thing, for doing the side quest, you get a little bonus information. Well, they give you more information or they'll assist you. Like, they'll go, hey, I will help you go to the next thing or or what have you. You know, maybe it's a trust-earning thing, but it's— But I think you can you could get through that one without— Without that, if you wanted to, if you wanted to power through it, you could forego all assistance, forego oh, yeah, all side quests and just fucking hammer down. Well, and part of that, part of that method is also to say, instead of landing in Barovia and walking up to Ravenloft and kicking Strahd's ass at first level, well, you get to do all these side things that'll get you up to 10th level and then you can go and kick Strahd's ass or whatever. So there is a mentality of, I mean, that's leveling systems, right? That's yep. the whole shtick. You and if you're going to have people dropped in Ravenloft, that's that's one thing that's kind of a hang-up, right? Like, you do level systems, you got this power curve and this power creep, so then you're like, well, we're in Barovia, why, why me, unless you go, see, that go, you're going to get me all fired up again. <laughs> you're going to get me all, well, because if, if you weren't playing a level system and you were just dropped in Barovia... How would you know whether you have, like, you're strong or you're weak? And some character, like, as me. Why would you not think, let's just go take care of him right now? Yeah, let's go walk up there and confront them. This guy can't be all that bad. Yeah, let's go. Let's go see what we can do. Yeah, how do I know if I'm first level or 10th level? Unless, of, unless of course, I'm aged and I have experience and I can say, well, hold on a second. So I think the, the other thing that, if I think about it now, when we're talking through here, and the reason I, that Strahd came to mind is, and the same with Call of Cthulhu, now I'm saying it out loud with you, is I, I think it's the mystery component of it. I'm trying to get data. It's almost tied to the lore piece, right? Where I need this stuff. I need this information to go on. Yes, getting the information can, can level me up, right? I'll, I'll bump up another level by the time I kill the Great Purple Worm and, you know... Slazerax, the the invincible biter of death or whatever his fucking name is, will help me do whatever I need. Blah blah blah. How sweet. But it's the it's the mystery component of it, where if you, well, mysteries <clears throat> have clues like that's they do, but it, but you have to, in my opinion, um, allow for when those when they're written down and they say, look, 
This plot piece, oh, the IV hole itches like hell. Ah. Stuck an IV in my, in my left hand. Things just itching like crazy today. Anyway, so let me think about this. So if you go in, and the only way you can get some data, like I said, is you have to talk to certain people in a certain order, and it's written that way. And I have seen that in the past. And I know some people, some friends of mine write adventures of their own exactly like that because they want you to go travel and do this stuff. They think it's this fun little guided tour. And my perspective is, tell me who has the data. I'll figure out how to get it, right? As the person reading the adventure, if they say, look, the only person in the town of Stormlight is Wizard Kelly. And Wizard Sean Kelly is the only person in all of Stormlight who has this data. Okay, cool. Other people who might possibly be able to help him or point you to him are this person, this person, this person, this person. Or everyone in town knows that Wizard Kelly is the only guy who is a sage who has these books. Okay, fine. There's plenty of plot ideas. I can sprinkle those little coupons anywhere. Anyone can pick that up and say, hey, you know what? I've learned of this thing. I should go talk to Wizard Kelly. And I'll walk up. I can have a conversation with you. I don't have to go through, I guess, not every piece of... Um, Every location of data is like this top secret. I have to open this box, open the next box. I can never see what's beyond it. Taking leaps of logic are not allowed and so forth. And uh, I, I th that's how, and maybe this is just how my buddy's running out of the abyss, but it, it feels that way very much out of the abyss. We're like, so can we just do this? We got there. I mean, we, we kind of figured out what it is we had to do five levels ago. Why are we fucking around? We know what we need to do. We need to figure out this. Well, this will help you get that way. Oh, Jesus Christ. Fine. I'll go clean out the whole goddamn dungeon. You know, it just feels very much like a railroad. Like I've got to go through and grab these pieces and parts. This predetermined story that has to be told by checking all the coupons at one time. And I might just be pissed off and high on tramadol and rambling now. I feel like <laughs> a dick. Ugh. Well, and part of what you're talking about also, I mean, I think of like, big, huge mega campaigns like masks of Nyrolethotep and, oh, yeah. you know, you, but you know, it's not the same, you know, it's, it's giving everybody the clues or, I, I mean that when I, when they went into like, you know, Jackson's hotel room, man, I just dumped the shit on the table and said, here, this is what you find. So it wasn't hiding anything, but they have to put the things, the pieces together. And of course it would lead them, you know, after New York, they could go, Actually, probably London. After London, they could pretty much go anywhere in the world. Last time I played that, I, I half convinced the team to go to Singapore instead of London. But then I was outvoted. We ended up in London. Because we had legit reasons to go to Singapore at the time. Right. And there are, are things that will build up over time as you go through. But a lot of it is, I mean, the thing is, is with that campaign and the reason it's been one of the noted as one of the greatest campaigns ever written for any RPG is that while well, it's beefy and it it's I think it sprinkles everything everywhere. Yep, it's really those coupons are where you need them, right? Right. If you walk if yeah. you're walking through the town and you whisper you, you note the fact that boy you could really use X. Someone's gonna say, oh, Wizard Kelly knows that. Everybody knows that it's a thing. You know, it just that knowledge is just gonna come out. Um, I guess the the piece I. Like I said, I think that really is bothering me about it was the more I was talking to um, to AJ and I was looking at some of the different old adventures I'd looked at over the years or that I'd run. And it was just so very 
Silbury Railroad and insofar as at least it felt like it was taking away agency and it wasn't I'm like what part of the agency is it taking away I could clearly I could do whatever I wanted to it didn't say I had to do blah 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 but it was like there was no room for um, leaps of logic I couldn't have shortcut the fact that I could talk to the professor before the doctor the fact that for whatever reason, we went to talk to the professor before we talked to the doctor. Why can't I get the data from him right away? Why do I have to wait and quote unquote waste my time talking to the doctor who's just going to say, well, say the word and I'll get you a meeting with the professor and he'll tell you everything you need to know. I already made in good with the prof. He could talk to me right now. Why am I waiting? You know what I mean? Well, one could argue. I mean, some of this could be argued that it is part of the game, right? This is this is part of the game, right? That's kind of the deal. You got to talk to Brett, to talk to Sean, to talk to you know Eileen, to talk to Brandon, right? That's that's part of the deal. And in between those, that's, that's U.S. corporate politics. That's- <laughs> well, and in between those, or as you follow that kind of flow, there are thir- certain things that come to fruition, or changes, or there's motivations, or there's Whatever it is. So if you go here, you know, they have ulterior motives. What you think you're going there for isn't really the reason. And then stuff changes. You have to deal with it. So it's putting problems in front of the characters for them to solve. Now, you could go there and say, well, I'm going to... That goes into the, hey, I okay, we get into combat. Don't kill the last guy. Okay, why? Well, we want to kill him. We want to question him. Great. Okay, subdue him. Boom. All right, now you're going to talk to us. Well, hold on. That intimidation is not working. Try diplomacy. Okay, hey, he's really an asshole. I'm the nice guy. You know, and then it's like, okay, I'll give him whatever, and it leads him to something else. So while a lot of the plot coupons that you outline are kind of like, they're, they're annoying and they're not maybe executed properly or they're not written properly, you know, I think it's the execution. What you're talking, I'm talking, I'm thinking myself down here as you're describing. I think it has to do a lot with how it's executed for me, more than anything else, really. Because I've played with you before, and, you know, we had to, we we're going to go steal that that gem in the Star Wars game. camera mm-hmm. what the gem was. Jewel of, the, Jewel of Yavin. Ah, Jewel of Yavin. It was very clear that we had certain things we should do to get some data points. We did a quick reconnoiter. You gave us some options, and we went after all of them in a certain order. Could we have done them in, done them in a better order? Probably, but we went after them. Like, okay, we Julie Yavin, we gotta go figure this out. You do this, you do that. I'm gonna go fix that. We'll take care of this, and come back. I think the, um, I think it's in the the execution by the game master side of it, where it doesn't feel like. I'm missing out because I went in the wrong order. You know what I mean? I don't want to feel at that in that moment. I don't want to feel like I'm. How do I say this? I don't want to feel like I'm playing. That's the wrong phrase. Well, I mean, there's a progression too. I mean, if you play Knights Black Agents, there's the conspiracy. You're not going to go straight to the guy who's pulling everybody's strings, right? That that would kind of defeat the purpose of having a longer term mini series slash campaign, right? You kind of got to go through all the. I mean, it's not the same necessarily. It's like- Oh, no, okay, I get it. So then it's kind of when do the reveals start happening, right, in that sure. type of scenario. Yeah. So you gain, 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 gain. Okay, cool. It's, you know, Bob at Megacorp. And then just as Bob dies, you, say, he, you know, you see his cell phone ringing and it's, you know, Vlad at Super Megacorp. 
oh, fuck, this, this goes deeper. Yeah. But that's, that's, uh, that's the skill, I think, that comes to it, because that's what I think... Yeah, this is more about skill than it is just my distaste for it. I think what I'm running into is how it's being deployed. Sure. I mean, a video game... Because that- I, I, feel, I feel like I'm walking up and I want to get a sandwich, and I'm standing in line. This is for the bread. This is for the cheese. It took a number for the meat. I've got some number over here. I feel like I'm just waiting. Yeah, It's this very mechanical, like, fucking... Um, Excuse what you, me. What do you need? Process. I need a passport. Sorry, this is for some permits. You got to go to the next window. Closes the window, goes to the next one, opens it up. Same person. Same person. Yeah. (laughs) How can I help you? It has the fucking DMV is what it feels like. (laughs) Really? I was just standing here and I had the yellow paper in my hand. You could have said the yellow form. You dick. I mean, let's, okay, so let's face it too. But you're talking talking me down here. This makes sense. It's it's one of those things that irritates me, but keep going. Keep going. But, but, you know, uh, so you could, I think, I think you could have viable plot coupons. Like, you know... I'm going to run Forbidden Lands, right? Yep. It's a hex crawl, but it's not going to be travel, travel, and travel some more. There's going to be a lot of that, but there's there's going to be stuff that I have to throw at these guys like, hey, you come across lore, you come across an artifact, you come across somebody traveling, or you come across a person, or you go to the village, and then there's people that you, you, inter, you interact with. But in order to get them to go in particular directions or, or give them things to do, right? Because you got to give play, an open sandbox, go. What you know? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, not every not everybody will go. Just, where they might just lock do we go? Yeah. What? Where yeah. can we go? What? Yep. What should we do? Why are we together? So you gotta gotta give them something to kind of sink their teeth in. Now you give them three or four things. And they may go nowhere. They may go, and there isn't a wrong answer. And if it doesn't go anywhere, that may be part of the thing where, hey, you followed all this and it's nothing. It's like a potted plant. Yeah. Ooh, you yay. Know. Just what I needed. <laughs> Congratulations. You conquered the dungeon and you got a potted plant for your reward. <laughs> Lovely. But, but the thing is, is that those those plot coupons, I'm going to have to throw some of those in front of the players so that they can they could sit there and sit around a campfire and go... All right, we've got this, we got that, we've got, you know, Brett's sword's broken, we got to get that fixed. We can't do it here. The next town is so far forward. Oh, and we got this lore that it's over here, but it's not too far out of the way. Like, go. Like, here's your options. And so with with the implementation, and, and let's face it, there are some game masters that probably do it in a similar fashion where you were mentioning early on in the topic where it's like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of accomplishing some of the same thing, but maybe the context is out of whack or it's a video game and, you know, Brett's playing never kind of the, art, the art and the, the art and the science of how we, how do you do this appropriately? Okay. You know, and so, all right, all right. because I think if you boil it all down, you know, how do you determine whether it's a, it's a MacGuffin versus a red herring versus a plot coupon. You know, how do you differentiate all those? And some of them are like, well, this one's the same as that, or it's kind of the same thing, but not really. And, you know, let's start a podcast and talk about this shit for like 300 episodes <laughs> and like dissect crap like this. You know, I wonder if other people think about this. And then, so. Find out nobody does. And then they, they turn for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it, I think you have to. Plot coupon, whatever you want to call it, there's got to be some things that clues. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. It has to do with 
how frustrating can it get if it's just like, are you going to go and talk to this person or not? And sometimes it is. Like I've run shows like that where it's, okay, well, what do we what do we do? And you give them a couple things and the players are like, I don't know what to do. And it's like, well, I kind of gave things. you what more do you want? I gave you yeah. a couple things. Um, and what's the benefit, right? Cause they're like, we should go this way for whatever reason. And you think, well, if you went that way, that's fine. But if you go this way, you might get reinforcements. You may get a clue that circumvents the hard path. And some of those things I have, I think are have to be, nuanced enough so that it doesn't feel like the way it makes Brett feel, which is here's a freaking green exclamation point at the top of the guy's head. And yeah, like, go click on that guy. And you click on it and he's like, hey, what do you want? You know, hey, I'm looking for Adrian. You've seen Adrian? And you're like, yeah, I got to go through all I the speech find Adrian, and-, and then Adrian, you know, so yeah. So it, it's, I think it's, I think you're right. It comes down to, I touched on it before, just my internal frustration probably got the better of me, but I think it's execution more than there's anything else. We're running out of time to hammer through that, but I think once we talk about the in a couple episodes, we're going to dig into the uh, the uh, the pre the pregen world. Um, I think it was uh, Matt from last show talked about that, right? The campaign um, setting yeah, versus the, campaign the adventure setting, yeah. versus yeah. both, yeah, yeah, and, and the whole idea of a pre-written versus a homebrew, and how do you add touches and pieces? And I think it's the um, I think it's got to be the execution more than anything else because what I'm, I think you're right, Sean. The more we, you've talked to, you talked out with me here, I, th- I think the things that are annoying me when I have it done poorly is where it feels like you have to do X, Y, and Z in a very specific order, right? It's that railroad feeling, right? Or it's so blatantly obvious, I don't, I no longer feel like it's organic to the event. In the game, and I know some people don't care about that. Some players and game masters don't care if it's very, um, if there's no verisimilitude. We're like, hey, look, it's just it's a it's D and D man, or it's whatever the game is, and we got to go do this. You go find five plot coupons because it's organized play, and that's what you do. And you go to the end, the big fight, and then you move on. That's just what we do. Don't why are you overthinking this, right? Where I prefer to have it feel like it's naturally coming out. Oh, you've gone so far. Now the wizard decides he's going to talk to you. And um, excuse me, you know, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi finally decides he's going to share this piece of data with you uh, because it was a certain point of view. Another Star Wars reference. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, even, though it turns, even though it turns out Obi-Wan Kenobi is just a liar. <laughs> but I, I, Brett, I guarantee you've done it. I bet you anything. You've had oh, I'm to. Positive, I've done. I had to have yeah. done it. I mean, I'm 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 not perfect all the time. Well, you've had to <laughs> you've had to do it, but in a in a way that probably in your brain makes more sense than a heavy handed. Go ch- go talk to the barmaid. Go talk to the barkeep, and then you got to go talk to the sage. And then once you get all those three yeah. little nook nookie nooks, then you can go to the king. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I think I think it comes down to the execution piece, which you've, yeah, it's got to be that, because you're right. It has you have to have some of that, especially investigations and clues. If you don't have them in a mystery game, well, you don't have anything, right? That's that's essentially what a clue is. How do I get from the next point? How do I make my logical and so forth? But it's how how am I as a player allowed to execute them versus how the the game masters and or the uh, the adventurer is geared to let me execute or use them. Okay. Well, and I think it's also a matter of 
going back to what you're saying, if you can put two and two together and you could skip, you know, the barkeep or whatever, great. Yeah, if I, if I can pass the two intramural rounds, why not yeah. go right to the majors, right? Yeah, why? but if, if the DM or GM is, is playing hardball because of that, then, well, then that's a problem. Then that's getting back to kind of what you're probably not a fan yeah, of. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's probably a very succinct way to take the last hour. Um, yeah, that's probably, <laughs> that's Brett, a much better way to put it. How do you... How do you feel now after you've had this session? How do you, how do you feel? Do you feel? I feel like I, I need some more tramadol. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Because <laughs> it kind of hurts. No, it does feel. It feels better. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad we can no, come to a, a a good conclusion, a good ending to this. So, I, as corny as that is, it is interesting sometimes when you think about a hobby or something that irritates the fuck out of you. A piece of something like, God damn this thing! Urgh, I fucking hate it! Urgh, grumble, grumble, grumble. You bring it up and your friend's like, Dude, why are you, why are you mad about that? Which is exactly what Sean did. I went through it. I'm like, ah, I shouldn't be mad about that. It's really not a big deal. Let it go. It's just an execution. Oh, all right. All right, all right. <laughs> it's good to do. You got to talk it out. Because otherwise, it's one of those things that's going to sit around in your noggin. I'm going to be grumbling about this. You can't. You can't. Hey, Brett, you can't keep it bottled up. You can't do that. It's not good for you. You know, that's what this is for, right? We can. Exactly. You know, we'll meet on a weekly basis. I was thinking maybe a weekly. We'll start out, you know, weekly. See yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, bi-weekly, see how it goes. See how it goes. Yeah. Hash we'll things out. There we go. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. All right. So if anybody else has other ways to make me feel dumb, um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> nothing dumb about we, it, Brad. I know. Nothing we're dumb good. about we're it. We're good. I'm, te- I'm teasing. Nothing, yeah. nothing. No. Yeah. I appreciate it. Don't be I like appreciate that. it. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. All right. Let's get out of here. All right. Let's get into Daryl. Daryl. Two to four miscellaneous points gaming and geekery. Uh, first one, Temple of Elemental Evil from Goodman Games. I didn't know they were doing this one. I did not know they were doing it either. I honestly, I, I had track. to keep. You lost who? I lost track of all the ones that they were going to do. Oh. Um, I had keep in the Borderlands, and I started reading through it. and went, meh, not interested. And Jared Rasher did a nice review of um, Isle of Dread, and I went, meh, I have Isle of Dread. I think I have like three copies of Isle of Dread at this point, thanks to Sean. Um, I, I don't need. I have the Temple of Elemental Evil. I have the Return to Temple of Elemental Evil, which I think is a substantially better adventure. Um. It's often said that Temple of Elemental Evil is unplayable or unrunnable. I've heard that. I've heard that about every adventure, which I take as a, oh, yeah, let me show you a thing or two. I want to do it. (laughs) But I don't know if I'd really, I don't know, man. It just doesn't have to have something really kind of wow me to make me grab that because I have a copy of that. You know, I don't know. Does that interest you at all? No? No, I mean, you know, I'm kind of... I don't, five five E's not at the top of the charts for me to run, and you know it's I'm either saying, that it's or nice first that, edition. So yeah, I mean it's nice that they um, that they up the game insofar as they do the conversion for you. That's slick, sure. But other than that, I don't see any. Don't see. I'm not drawn. I'm just not drawn to it. I got a cool off period. Yeah, weeks come gone by. Nope. Yeah, yeah. Nope. Don't care. Don't need it. <laughs> The other one I had, I can't remember if we mentioned this one last time, but uh, uh, MCDM, uh, Matt Colville, uh, put out a new magazine. Uh, James Tricasso, they just brought him on uh, as Brent. He's uh, full-time working for MCDM, and Arcadia is their new gaming mag. It's a D&D 5e thing. I'm a Matt Colville fan, as, as you've listened to the show, you've heard that from me before. And they were kind enough, they sent us a, uh, a copy. They said, hey, take a look at this, Brent and Sean. 
So I've been parsing through a little bit today, and it looks really, really cool. I watched the video where Matt talked about, hey, what's in it? A lot of adventures, some cool new stuff, um, new mount rules, and so on. It's It looks pretty neat. And I think it's kind of cool. This is the type of thing that um, uh, I, I think... Colville and team are pretty smart. Like, you know, it'd be fun is to have like a gaming magazine, like Dragon Magazine. However, we got to be super wicked smart on this. Cobalt did well for a while and they fell apart and they tried this and tried, you know, like, how can you do it? And um, I don't know if they would ever get to a, uh, a a printed version. They may end up doing an omnibus or something at some point I could see, you know, like my understanding, like, hey, my understanding was they were going to stick to PDF only. Like they didn't, they weren't interested in print because of the, all the hangups with I could absolutely see that. Yeah. Because it's such a it's just such a pain. Yeah. Print, shipping, blah, blah, blah. Well, you can't I count could, on anything. I mean, how no, do you? No, you can't. You know? No, you can't. I could absolutely see, though, that if they were to do a Kickstarter at some point saying Best of Arcadia hardcover, I could see that happening. But, again, if you have all the eggs, make my own Best of Arcadia, you know. But it looks pretty cool. The art is great. Um, they've got some really good um, writers, artists, the whole thing. I think the team puts together some pretty uh, good-looking stuff. And it's usually pretty meaty. The stuff that they that they crank out. So I'm excited about that more than I am Temple of Elements Legal, actually. So I figured I'd share that one out there for folks. So through James, you could consider Matt giving us this copy, Brent. I could. I could. Matt has no idea Matt, who we Matt. are. No, he doesn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't even know how James knows who the fuck we are. That's just funny. Uh, James has got a pretty <laughs> extensive inventory, I'm sure, of podcasters. Yeah, I, and, I, I know. Yeah. I'm just, oh. You wouldn't know me. <laughs> Probably knows you. You're nicer than me. I don't know. Anything else, man? Uh, no, I don't think so. Nothing that I could think of uh, for Dyro. Oh, one other one other thing that well, I think I mentioned early on with Brad, I mentioned that, Jay, speaking of James Intricasso, he's got a decent Twitter account, and he put out two polls, and I'll put a link in the show notes. He put out two polls. One was... Asking all the D&D players, if you're only playing D&D, why are you only playing D&D and not anything else? What if what has kept you from trying another game? And the reasons can be anything. And so he got something like 3,000 people to vote on that um, and then and comment. I don't know, the comments were probably a little bit smaller. And then he followed up with another poll that asked people that moved on to a different game how or why they moved on to play another game other than D&D and there was like 1600 responses so the the reason people don't play anything else for D&D is because they don't want to learn something new the reason everybody took the leap with another game is because of variety they want they want to do they, something new they wanted variety <laughs> So you got both Funny. extremes to reply, essentially, is what the, the moral of the story is. Basically, an, un, an unscientific survey proves what we've all thought to be true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but I, I am interested. I don't know. I mean, I know our audience. I know our, our Discord to some degree. And I know we've all played D&D in some iteration most of the times. It's, you know, it's good that D&D flourishes because it does get people in the hobby and then once they get in the hobby, they can make the, the jump to something else. So there are many publishers that are out there that are very uh, uh, well aware that the, bene- the the hobby is dependent upon the success of D&D. Like, they, they make no qualms about it. There's, I think it is interesting. Some people are like actively hate it. 
Sure. Like they hate they at like in their soul hate Dungeons and Dragons for some reason. They probably loathe like, it, I think is more yeah. I'm like, what whatever, man. So what? <laughs> Who cares? Well, it's the weirdest thing. I am interested though for those that are part of the community that listen to us that really are diehard D and Ders, why they don't play anything else. I have a feeling that that's probably a a very consistent, obviously a consistent thing where it's like, hey, I got this. It does the trick for me and I don't want to learn anything else. Sometimes it's time. You know, it's not like I don't, I don't have time to learn anything else. Right. I do this. I'm only able to play once a month anyway. So this works out fine. We have a good time. You know, I don't know. I asked Christian Serrano, our buddy, uh, Savage Worlds. We were talking about something where... I have a lot of Savage World stuff, and I don't. It's besides you don't the play game. It. It, honestly, if you took everything that I have, quantity, mm-hmm. and weighed that against how much I've played, Savage Worlds is probably at the top of that list. So it's probably the game I own the most and play the least. Isn't that weird? And he's like, you know, what, what, well, what are you looking for? Why? Did he give it? Did he give it a WTF with that one, buddy? Well, he's kind of like, <laughs> what, you know, why? What are you looking for? And I said, well, you know, I think it's just because it's a generic role playing system. I, I like it for playing one shots. I run it at cons, but I don't know if I'd run it for a long term campaign. I'm not sure why. Oh, that's interesting. Well, it's interesting statement. And I mean, I don't have. I could still run Savage Worlds one-shots, but I said oh, yeah. one of the things that I have mentioned on the show is that I like games that will help facilitate a type of feel that the game is trying to convey. So not all of them do that by any means, but I told them, I said, hey, if I'm going to run, you know, a, a, a mystery or something, then I would, you know, hey, gumshoe. Like, it's in the title of the system yeah, or whatever. Cthulhu or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he's like, no, no, I get it. So I asked him, like, why do you only play Savage Worlds, man? Why is that the only... Th- and I know he's played 5e. Oh, he's played a bunch of stuff, yeah. But one of the things he mentioned was, you know, System Mastery. He doesn't want to learn anything else. He wants to be really good and focus in on Savage Worlds. And that's kind of his deal. Now, in defense of him, he's also doing writing and he's close with Pinnacle and... But you if know. you do, if you... We've talked about System Mastery in the past, ages ago. And if you nail it down, excuse me, you've really got it. You can make that sucker dance. Oh, yeah. Right? Sure. Is it easy for me to play such and such type of game with the D&D rule set? Depending what the D&D rule set is, maybe very easy for me because I'm really, really good at it. Right? Or it might be really, really bad at it because, oh, I've only ever used that game. I've only used, you know, D&D to play D&D published modules. I really don't think I could do a homebrew with it because I just don't feel comfortable. Or what have you. So I could totally see that, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I was just kind of interested. Just kind of wondering if my if the kind of same is the same same because I think one of the things too is when I need to talk with some community member, members with getting folks to play with other folks so that they don't feel as they're they're trapped in a in a group that they may not be gelling with anymore, and that's based on just their gaming preferences, right? It's not the system they want to play. It's not the environment they want to play. It's not the people that they want to play with anymore but they feel compelled that that's their only option so um trying to get folks maybe out of their comfort zone a little bit anyways what got you to try a different game hmm that's the more interesting question because that would probably be more apropos right we kind of know why dnders may not want to make the leap to something else but why what got you 
to try a different game? Is it the cover art? Like, it could be anything. Like, I don't know. Somebody else told me it was nice. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the, I know the thing that got me to try Middle-Earth role-playing was that said Middle-Earth on a goddamn box. That was it. I'm a, I'm a Tolkien guy. I'm like, oh, I got to try this. Uh, and I play Merp. Do you have one you ring? Know? Do you have the one ring? Mm, I did. And I went, meh, bounced off of it. I've heard it's, like, wicked good, but I started reading and went, eh, got rid of it. What was the other one? There was another one, wasn't there? Wasn't there one, like, 5e-based? Oh, yeah, I still, uh, I think I have a PDF of that one, but I haven't touched it. But, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why you would try something new. Cover art, theme, subject matter. Went to a con, figured I'd try something else, and it was stuck. It was like, blew, blew me away, man. Exactly. The rule yeah. is just, oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. What are we talking about next week, Brett? We're going to talk about the slow burn versus the hot start. Slow burn. Yeah. So it's like uh, whiskey or vodka. <laughs> no. So... Uh, the hot start, the whole in media raise, you, know, you start fast, something's happening kind of cool, fast, fun. And then there's the slow burn stuff, which is almost the traditional way, I think, a lot of ways to start campaigns and, and games and stuff. And uh, I, I think sometimes people say, oh, you obviously do a hot start for X, or you obviously do this for that. So I'll challenge that a little bit. And hopefully I'll be a little more cognizant next week. Sean, I apologize. <laughs> nah, man, it's all good, dude. It's all good. All right, man. It's all good. All right. We good? All right. Yeah, we're good. Uh, so thanks for everybody for joining us this evening live in the chat. We really appreciate it. Good to see everybody and some additional folks turned out just to see Brett. Uh huh. Sure they did. Yeah. They wanted to make sure you were still alive. They were like, that's kind of a rumor, you know, like, Hey, is Elvis really dead? Is he alive? I do. I do. I do legitimately have a dead man's bones stapled to my neck. So that's, that's my, you got his name on. I think so. Yeah. Vecna, something like that. Vecna. <laughs> Get the bone of Vecna in my neck. Exactly. Uh, if you are available on Monday nights at 8 p.m., we stream here on Twitch, 8 p.m. Central Time. Feel free to join us. Otherwise, if you see this on YouTube, go ahead and uh, smash the like button or subscribe. And then, of course, you can always subscribe via the podcast audio at your favorite podcatcher of choice. Mm-hmm. But for Gaming and BS, I am Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS produced with help from the following BSers. Jared Rasher, Ray Otis, Old School DM, Jason Hobbs, Andy Hall, Roger Brasslett, Chris Steele, Larry Hout, Eric Frankhaus, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, CW Mellencamp, Dan LaValle, Craig Huber, Ron Bishop, Old Schoozer, Role Playing, Jim Fitzpatrick, Mark Richmond, Sky, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jeff Seifert, Angus, Eric Salzweedle, George Sedgwick, Robert Nemeth, Brian Kurtz, Laramie Wall, Perry Besor, Erica Villa, Andy Olson, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Niall Diamond, Jeff Goad, Brian Rumble, David F. Baylog, Harrigan, Melissa Mashinsky, Henry Newcomb, Colcago, 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 Eric Tavola, Hus Carl, Ghost GM, Mike Hess Jr., Rory Weston, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Jason Weeb. Dollar Adventure Frameworks, Phil McClory, Jay Plata, The Duke of Purple, Isaiah Aries, Christian, Avanta Blacklord, Larry Howells, Quigley Malcolm, AWOL Trooper, Craig Shipman, 
Todd Sharp, Orcus Dorcas, Chris Shore, Michael Holland, Wayne Peacock, Mike Coleman, Tendrils, Miniature Master, Christopher Lang, Chad Gleeman, Josh Wallace, Adam Grotejohn, Ed Nye, Stefan Dragonspawn, Corey Welch, Merkel Froelich, Rich Wishon, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, and Aaron Ralia. The city. It's this sprawling massive place miles and miles across. Been here as long as anyone can remember. Nobles play their power games, guilds maneuver for money and influence, dark things emerge from the shadows to hunt, and the lamplighters take everything in while, keeping the darkness at bay. The thing I always wonder is, why? Why do those lamplighters keep the darkness back? What investment do they have in Avalon? Why do they keep involving common folks in the games of the houses and the guilds? I think they're the true power in Avalon, but I'm only one person. Then again, I've spoken with a blasted lamplighter. Have you? The Streets of Avalon is a setting book compatible with the world's most popular role-playing game from the mind of our own Brett Blazinski. Check out links in the show notes where you can get your copy today. Thanks, BSers! This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.